ESPN Radio, no Seth Goldberg. He's back tomorrow. We've got Mike Waters here in studio for hour number two. We want to talk some basketball with you at 315-437-7644. You heard Max refer to Robert Braswell a moment ago. We'll certainly get Mike's thoughts on the newest member of the SU men's basketball team in a moment. But Mike, we got to start with the big news of the day. The Carrier Dome, getting a facelift. It's, it's long overdue. Yeah, I think that's the key thing here. It, it, it was all these enhancements and renovations and uh, reconstruction. It, it, it is long overdue. Uh, the building was kind of was getting a tired feel to it, and it had really fallen behind in the athletic arms race uh, to other facilities. It was always iconic because it was always the dome, and nobody else had a dome. So that was the one thing that kind of kept it going uh, was because of its status, but. In terms of locker rooms, everything from the player experience to the fan experience, and on a very minor scale, uh, the media experience. <laughs> but it, it, every, it was it was all falling behind. Um, we're renovating our kitchen at home right now. Uh, I'm in a house that was built about 40 years ago. We've it's been time. It, it, the kitchen's original to the house. It was functioning. We were getting by, you know. But um, it, the kitchen needed remodeling, Steve. So and the house was built about the same time the dome was built then, right? <laughs> so, Almost 40 years so, ago. Yeah, so note to my wife, every time the Syracuse gets a new roof on the on the dome, there you we're going to get it's in the It's time, kitchen. honey. I like it. Um, so if we kind of go down the checklist of, of what the renovations include, and we brought this up at the, at the top of hour number one, I'll, just to refresh everybody's memory, a new fixed roof, so that retractable roof idea, while cool to think about, very costly, not sure how efficient it would be, how effective it would be, how many times you're going to use it over the course of the year. They decide not to go with the retractable roof. They're going to go with a fixed roof that has a 40-year lifespan, so another 40 years uh, with the the fixed roof uh, on the dome. A a new vertically hung scoreboard, which I think this is a cool idea. It'll hang over midfield for football. It'll be on a track, and the basketball court will remain in the same spot, and then during basketball season, they'll slide the scoreboard over, and it'll hang above midcourt inside the dome. So I, I like that. Uh, improvement and Pete Sal is saying that they haven't decided on which scoreboard they're going with yet but it's going to be big there's going to be a wow factor so I think fans can certainly look forward to that improved accessibility which I think is very important state-of-the-art sound and, and lighting Added Wi-Fi capabilities. I know some of our listeners had, had called in you know, previous months and previous years about you know the Wi-Fi stinks in the dome. They will get a, an upgrade uh, in that aspect, uh, maybe as early as this upcoming football season. And then the big topic, air conditioning. Uh, there will be air conditioning in the dome beginning in 2022, or at least by 2022. So it's going to take some time. It's one of the last things they can do during the renovation process. Restrooms will be upgraded. Concession stands will be upgraded. I know they have some plans for the concourse and, and the the third tier as well um it's getting a facelift and and as you said long overdue so of the the laundry list of things i just laid out mike um from a media experience or a fan experience which one do you think is is at the top of the list in your mind of this absolutely needed to change like yesterday i i think it's the the big things that all go back to the permanent roof 
having a, a, a uh, the, the roof the way they're going to have it, allowing them to now have the bigger scoreboard, the center hung scoreboard uh, with 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 the tract on it so they can move it. Uh, the the roof allows them to improve the sound system. The sound system was terrible at the dome. We couldn't ever we couldn't hear anything. We couldn't make out the announcements. Very echoey, overmodulated. Oh, yes, even the player introductions couldn't have the same oomph that they needed to have. Um, and and in terms of player introductions too, the lighting, being able to have lights that you can turn off and then turn back on again, because it, you, in, during player introductions or any other time, you can never turn off those lights because it always took them too long to come back on to full effect. So you couldn't do in the dome what other schools could do in their smaller. Real basketball only arenas, which is to have that player introduction where you, you turn out the lights, you throw the video on the scoreboard, you hit the spotlight down on the team huddle, and, and, and Tyus Battle gets to burst out through the line with the fire going everywhere. You know, I think back to when I was a kid, and I'm old, Steve, okay? So when I was a kid growing up on the shadow of the campus at the University of Tennessee, the Tennessee's player introductions were done with the lights out and a spotlight towards the, the, the main entrance to the floor. And the players used to burst out through this orange tee. And, you know, the starting guard, star of the team, was the first one through. And when he busted through the paper in, in, the, in the middle of that tee, the place went nuts. I, this was the 1970s. Sure. And to think that Syracuse can't, you know, was never able to do that kind of player introduction in the 2000s is, is stunning, but now they'll be able to, and I think it all goes to the roof. We did that early 90s when I was in high school. We used to turn off the lights during player introduction, so uh, it, it is. It's a, it's a cool thing. Yeah, but the, the administrators didn't know about it. You had like somebody over there on the side of the gym turning it off, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. One of, our, one of our teammates that rode the bench went over and, and hit the lights. Um <laughs> You know, I, I mentioned this to, to Rick and, and curious to get your thoughts as well. So so one of the one of the things we've heard a lot about too from fans, aside from parking and tailgating, that's that's a separate issue and a separate topic for another day. But, yeah, and that's but gonna be hard to fix. That is gonna be hard to fix. You know, when you have a, a monstrosity like that on campus, it's gonna be hard to fix. I'm not sure there's a simple solution. Yeah. The cushion seats though inside the dome is something that has come up time and time again. Are they gonna replace the you know the metal benches? For the cushion seats. Now, Pete Sala was asked about that today during the press conference, and and he said they're considering it. It's not off the table, not on the table. There are some improvements that are not on this list that will be done. That is one that is under consideration. My question to you is, is there anything else on your checklist that you would prefer to see moving forward even if it's a minor thing or a major thing anything that you would really like to see them consider you know before this entire project is said and done i'm sure player locker rooms uh, have to be at the top of a list somewhere i just don't think they were discussed today because i think today was all about the fan experience uh but the locker room situation at the carrier dome is is, is not great uh fans don't know this uh and and it really doesn't affect the media that much but it, it, it does affect the student athlete. And uh, the, the basketball team dresses in the football team's locker room. And they tried to enhance it over this past year. You know, they, they changed the locker room when you go in there. And the, the players now have a place where they can dress and undress pretty much in private and then step out. And so they still have like the open locker room, which I love that Syracuse still does. You know, so the players still have an area, but now they have an area where they go and engage with the media. Um, that was a nice. But it was kind of a Band-Aid. Um, they really need to have a football locker room, a basketball locker room, a visiting football locker room, a visiting basketball locker room. Uh, they need to have 
a media room that isn't the visiting football locker room. Uh, they need to have a situation where Jim Beheim can hold a post-game press conference and they don't have to have people pour buckets of ice into the urinals so that they don't flush during the middle of his comments. You know, stuff like that fans don't see. Great point. It, you know, it's it, you shouldn't have to be doing that at a major Division One university with first-class facilities. Right. If it's a state-of-the-art facility, that should should not be happening. State-of-the-art. So it's, it's stuff like that behind the scenes. Right. That I, I'm sure it's on their list. I'm sure. I just think today was about the fan experience, which I get. It should be. Yeah, fair point. All right, I, I like that. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Mark in Casanova. He wants to chime in. Actually, we just lost Mark as we were about to go to him. So I tell you what, let's take our first time out. He wanted to talk some SU basketball. We'll, we'll take a timeout when we return. We're going to talk some SU basketball. Robert Braswell, the newest member of Orange. We'll get Mike's thoughts on him. Keep it here. Orange Nation returns right after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Fonte, Mike Waters back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by the Downtown Living Tour set for... Saturday, May 19th, in and around downtown Syracuse as we switch gears from the Carrier Dome talk to talk some SU hoops. Big news yesterday. We thought this might be coming. And indeed, it came down last night. Robert Braswell, 6'8 forward out of South Carolina, deciding on Syracuse over UMass and Oklahoma State. And the Orange might get some much-needed depth at the forward position going into next season. Yeah, they needed to add a forward after Darius Baisley's decision to go to the G League, and Matthew Moyer decided to transfer. So really, the the only you have Marek Dolajai and O'Shea Brissett, your two returning starters. So you're not hurting. Um, and Elijah Hughes, I would guess, is big enough to play a little bit at small forward at six six and about two hundred and ten pounds. He can probably handle it. Um, but they needed another forward on the roster, and especially one that maybe is going to project down the line in a, in a two or three more years uh, as a guy who can really help. But he's an intriguing prospect. He's not rated really high. He's only going to have two or three stars, depending on what recruiting service you looked at. Uh, Evan Daniels of 24-7 Sports has him at 170th in the class. But I don't really pay much attention to that number because he's overlooked for a reason. He, he came from Germany to the United States at the end of his freshman year. So he's just getting noticed then. Uh, at the time, he's only six foot four, and now he's six foot eight. And he never played on a team on an AAU team that traveled in the summer. Uh, for a couple years, he played on a team that didn't go outside the state of South Carolina. And last year, when he was on such a team that was going to go around, he suffered an abdominal muscle strain, and so he didn't get to play in front of the recruiting analysts and the college coaches and all that. And so, yeah, he picked up the offer from Oklahoma State back in December. That was like the first major program to offer him. He had other offers from some smaller schools, but when Oklahoma State offered him in December, that kind of gives you an idea of how under the radar this kid is. Whose role does his commitment impact the most? Is it probably Elijah Hughes in that Elijah can remain for the most part at the shooting guard position? Um, does it impact you know Merrick Dolajai's role, or do you still project Merrick to play you know, 30, 35 minutes a game? I don't know if it impacts anybody, Steve, because I don't know how if the kid's that good, where he's going to come in and command any kind of playing time, even in a in a reserve role. Uh, Elijah Hughes, you know, we have to remember he played a year at East Carolina and he sat out a year here, so he's a couple years older than than Robert Braswell and um, with better size. His frame, you know, Elijah's filled out. He's six six two ten. 
You know, he outweighs this uh, Brad, Robert Braswell, and he's two inches shorter. Uh, I don't know if, if Robert's going to take away anybody's playing time this year. I mean, I just think he adds a little depth. I didn't mean necessarily playing time with Elijah. I meant that right. he could remain at the two and not have to slide down to the forward spot. I think in that in such a situation, right as of right now, if Mareka or O'Shea Brissett turns an ankle or gets into early foul trouble. It's who Jim Bam trusts. I think you, you, Elijah moves to the three. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that answers the question. Because I, I think because well, Elijah's a couple years older and maybe right. a little bit better right now than Robert. But here's the thing. What if Robert proves himself to be a better option than whoever you would slide in at the two? Right. Instead of like, like he's better than that guard, whoever that guard might be, whether it's Jalen Carey or Howard Washington or whatever. If he's better than that guy, well, then, oh, okay, now right. he's leave them both on the court. We'll right. Leave yeah. Elijah at the yeah. two. But right. um, I, I don't want to put too much on this kid. I don't want to overstate how good he is. I, I am very intrigued by him when I watch his film. When I see 6'8 and stepping out beyond the three-point line and he's making threes and it's not just toes on the line, spot-up three, yeah, he's a, couple, he's a foot or two back on some and his form never changes. I, that, I like that. Uh, reminds me of a James Sutherland type. Oh, well, all right then. Skinny, 6'8. Right. We've got to remember how James looked when he first got to Syracuse. Really, Develop really into a, a dead-eye shooter by the time he left. Exactly. Has the same birthday as my daughter, by the way. Don't ask me why I know that. Well, you can ask me. She, he was. <laughs> why do you know that? He, do you know that? He was her favorite player. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, there's sure a story birthday. there as well that I I went through great lengths to to get her a a Charlotte James Sutherland NBA jersey when he was on Charlotte for like five days, <laughs> um, and I delivered right around Christmas time. But in any event, they share a birthday. Um, how about this other prospect that, that Syracuse is after? Ashun Ashunie? Am I saying that properly? Close uh, enough. Yes. He uh, I, visited I Syracuse right. recently. Visited St. Bonaventure recently, yes. and is at Georgetown reportedly today. Where do things stand with him? Yeah, not reportedly. Report well. Reportedly, I'm telling you. reportedly by Mike Waters. <laughs> I'm telling you. Mike Waters is is reporting right this second that he is at Georgetown today. And his parents are at Georgetown. Um, Another one kind of uh, way off the radar. Uh, He just spent a prep school year in in Connecticut at Putnam Science Academy, uh, which, you know, Syracuse fans might know. uh, Syracuse has dabbled uh, with some uh, prospects out of there. Hamadou Diallo, who went to Kentucky, played at Putnam. Eric Ayala, who Syracuse recruited about a year ago. And wound up at Maryland, uh, played at Putnam. Putnam's pretty good. Uh, this kid's from New Jersey, though, and a year ago when he was finishing his senior year of high school, he had very few offers, LaSalle and Lafayette. And he took the offer from LaSalle, and the LaSalle coaches, looking at a kid that was 6'10 and about 180, 185 pounds, encouraged him to go to prep school and maybe fill out a little bit. Um, probably poor planning on their part because a year later uh, LaSalle fired the the head coach John Giannini and the rest of his staff and the kid asked for a release from his commitment and after a year at Putnam he's filled out a little bit played really well up there he uh, scored 27 points in the national prep championship game against Northfield Mount Hermon played really well opened up some a lot of people's eyes Jerry McNamara was in the gym that day up there at to watch that game to see another kid that was on their recruiting radar so that I'm, you can trace Syracuse's interest back to that night. Um, so Syracuse, Georgetown, Bonaventure, Maryland was trying to get involved. I don't think they've succeeded. Uh, he's visiting Georgetown today. 
I think this might be it. I, I think it might be his last visit. I think he's choosing from one of these three schools. We've had a few people reach out to us on social media asking if the commitment of Braswell last night in any way, shape, or form impacts uh, the recruitment of Ashunier. My guess is no. They, they're different positions, right? I mean, they play. They clearly play different positions, yes? Yes. Uh, Braswell, uh, given his size right now and his shooting abilities, kind of a three, uh, small forward with really good height. Uh, and maybe as he fills out, you, we can designate him as a four. Defensively in Syracuse's system, it doesn't matter. If you're a forward, you're playing on the back line of the zone. Uh, you know, you're not playing man to man, so it doesn't matter who you're picking up. You're, so it doesn't it matters like what what role are you playing on offense? Like when Tyler Lydon theoretically was the, was the center sometimes a couple years ago, but on offense he was never center. Right. He was always the stretch four. Um, so Braswell's a three, maybe fills out to be a four at some point. Um, and, and Oshunier is a five, who maybe somewhere down the line develops a little bit more skills and steps away from the basket and perhaps plays the power forward for you. But uh, And they have scholarships. They have room. Even if Tyus Battle comes back, they have room for all. So uh, they very much, very much want both players. You have a feeling <laughs> one way or the other uh, on him, and and if he did commit, is he more of a project? Is he a you know a, a redshirt possibility, or is he a guy that you think would would come in and, and provide depth at the center position, and they would use him next year? I think he's good enough to play and, and be used. You will have Pascal Chukwu and Barama Sita be ahead of him, and we saw last year Marek was able to play the five in a pinch, and there was a lot of pinches because Barama was hurt. If Barama's healthy. You do have the option of redshirting, um, but I don't think you have to because the kids needs a year of development. It might if, if you you might have the depth to do it, but you don't have to. Now you ask me, why do I think? I was talking to a guy who's close to Ashun this morning. That's how I found out that he was at Georgetown. I mean, he wouldn't come out right all right and say anything, but I, I got the feeling the kid had a great visit to Syracuse. All right. I think Syracuse is in good shape. Now, he's saying that as the kid's getting ready to go to Georgetown. Listen, most visits go well. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're visiting there, you uh, tend to be interested. Yes, and you know, and I'm sure if it, you know, it's got to be a beautiful day in the nation's capital. And, you know, so we'll see how he feels after he comes back. And, you know, probably if, if they're smart, they do what Robert Braswell and his mom did. They had a great, you know, Braswell had a great visit to Syracuse. It was going to be his last visit. The mom made sure that Robert took a couple days, 24 to 48 hours. It's like a cooling off period before she allowed him to make up his mind. And then they agreed to it like two days after his visit had concluded. And then the next day he called the Syracuse coaches. So, you know, we'll see. So a cooling off period is always really good. So, I, But I think he had a great visit to Syracuse. So I think Syracuse is in good shape. 315-437-7644. We're, we're halfway home with Mike Waters. This hour is, is going quickly, so if you have a question for Mike, do give us a call. We've got to take another time out. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. We're brought to you in part by the Downtown Living Tour set for Saturday, May 19th in and around downtown Syracuse. No Seth Goldberg today. He is back tomorrow. We've got Rick Beardsley in studio for hour number one. Big Mike Waters will be in for hour number two to talk some basketball. We'll leave the Carrier Dome renovations on the table if you'd like to check in at 315-437-7644. But Rick, since you are here, we do have to talk lacrosse. And SU season came to an end. You say that like it's so bad. I can talk other things. I mean, I talked about tailgate heaven. 
Well, the reason we brought you in was to talk. But across. I also wanted to come. You know, the downtown. Yeah, event you're talking about. I was one of the first guys. I lived downtown when they first renovated all the apartments. I loved living down here. If people don't live down here, they're crazy. If you're single, you're in your 20s. You got a good job. It's a great spot. If you're, you know, you're divorced. Great spot to be down. I loved living in downtown Syracuse. Just saying. Great That's plug. why I love this place. Great plug. So it's it's coming up this Saturday. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna. I'm. I got a, probably a sectional game, so I won't be attending, obviously. But I'm. Still but if you were free, about. you'd go. If I was free, I would 100% keep it real. Well, the SU lacrosse players are free because they uh, they saw That's their bad. season come to an end last night to to Cornell, ten to nine. You look at the stats from this game, Syracuse won the ground balls and and won the ground balls rather easily, flipped the script from the first game. Cornell dominated that category in the first meeting about a month ago. Syracuse dominated that category this time around. And face-offs. And face-offs. And and Cornell, very effective uh, on the man up, very efficient offensively, as we've seen all year. Uh, What was was your biggest takeaway from this game, and, and, and what was, I guess, your number one reason that the Big Red won and not Syracuse? I think that Syracuse had to do something different that they hadn't done in such a long time. you got to think about when's the last time a Syracuse defender locked off an offensive player. I can't go back and remember. We're only talking about if you know it's a mismatch and a short stick goes and locks off a player on a switch. I've never, I can't remember back, at least when you take your best defender on ball and have him shut off the other opponent's best player. He did do the job, let's be honest. Uh, one-on-one, I thought he did a great job. I said in the open of that broadcast... He that meaning Nick Mellon. Nick Mellon. The big thing I said was, you know, got to be proactive versus reactive. Has to put Teed on the defensive as soon as he touches it. Play to the edges. Play out afar. Get into his hands. Because Nick Mellon has great lateral movement. There was no way Jeff Teet was running by him unless Nick Mellon made a mistake. But shutting him off, I think, was the biggest thing. And then what happened was, Cornell, rather than sitting back and just pulling... Jeff Teed out of the offense, stuck him back in the middle of the offense, used him as a double screen, ran him off picks, used him inside so guys couldn't bump. They had to bump through him for the slide. And Syracuse just does not have enough experience in doing that. That's why Cornell killed him with ball movement off that. It wasn't the fact that, folks, it wasn't the fact that Syracuse couldn't guard guys. That Syracuse did something they hadn't done in a long time, and it was confusing. When Nick Mellon got a switch, he didn't know what to do. He was like, "Do I slide back? Do I? What do I do?" He got caught. They were in a zone on the backside. He slid on the zone. You know, Nick Mellon has not been a guy who's been known for his off-ball IQ. His on-ball IQ is incredible. Uh, you know, Syracuse just unfortunately ran into an efficient offense that knew what to do versus. Something they didn't do. And you're not going to be good at something if you practice it three days. Jeff Teat held to one assist, but uh, Clark, kudos to Nick Mellon, obviously. Clark Peterson stepped up, had five goals. And and listen, I never like to, to pin the loss, especially at the college level or at the high school level. You never want to pin it on one kid. I mean, they you know you win together, you lose together. No. But I want to get your thoughts on the Nate Solomon penalty that, that ended up setting up the game-winning goal for Cornell with about three minutes to go. Uh, it was an unnecessary penalty. Nate Solomon is young. He's emotional. He has to learn to control himself. I... Uh, I spoke to his high school coach, Liam Banks. I said to him, Liam, uh, I can read the, ch- the, the text verbatim. I said, Liam, why? You know, what in the world was he thinking? He has to learn to control himself. Maybe you can talk to him in the offseason so that doesn't continue. Because right now he's getting a bad reputation. right? And that's a vital penalty at a critical time in the fourth quarter when you're tied. And that's a 
Jake Pulver throws the pass. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Boom, shoves him down. Blatantly honest. What was really, for me, awesome, and I don't know if it was awesome or bad, but Leland Rogers was in his shorts, in Solomon's shorts like an animal, the way John Desco would have been back when we were playing. And then Coach Desco told him to relax, which was interesting to me. Maybe Solomon can't take it and yell that. Maybe he's one of those kids. But that was a critical time and a, or a bad time in a, in a piece of a game that's critical that just killed him. And Don Madonna got a piece of it, but they hit a skip pass. They were also shutting off in the man up, and that's not what you want to do. They hadn't played it. Again, you did something different, which helped on one guy, but that allowed five other guys to hurt you. Yeah, Colton Rupp uh, had an easy say, look yeah. at it and, and it was able to find the back of the net. I said three minutes ago. It was about five and a half to go when they, yep, they scored 535 that. 5.35 exactly. That yeah, the go-ahead goal came with, when the penalty with, happened, five, yep. right, right, with 5.35 to go. And uh, Syracuse unable to answer. Had a couple of chances down the stretch, uh, but Cornell hangs on and, and Cornell advances. 315-437-7644 to the phone lines. We go Doug in North Syracuse kicking us off today on the show. Hey, Doug. Good morning, Jeff. Um, yeah, what a game. It was just, just pretty incredible. Rick, i, I got to tell you, I've read a lot of comments about what a good job you did on the broadcast. So I appreciate that, Doug. Thank you. Naturally, I didn't hear it, but uh, <laughs> hats, off, hats off to you. Well done. Thank you. I, I'm surprised to hear you say it was stifling hot in the dome, though. I was perfectly comfortable, but... You know, it was, oh, it was, it was brutal for me. I mean, and well, okay, I got yeah. there at four, so it happened to be real hot at four o'clock. I was in with Richie Barnes, who's a photographer, Doug, and I said, "Man, what is going on in here?" And I had a long sleeve shirt. I was pitting well, out. Yeah, you were in a full suit, so I was pitting out. It was terrible. Like I was pit. I do. I, I was like, "Wow." You should have come in your sleeveless T-shirt, buddy. Come on. I, if if oh, I were oh, tan oh. enough hey, to do it, hey, I would have came that listen, way. As far as the game goes. Mellon is just incredible. He's such an incredible defender, man. It's unreal. I, I'm 100% on the same page with you on the face-guarding part of it. It takes Mellon out of the flow of the game, um, but but when Pete did have the ball, I mean, when he had possession of it, bringing it in, Mellon is unbelievable. You know that Pete is hard to get that ball away from, man, and he just stripped him and took him out of the game to the point where he didn't even want the ball in his ticket. If you look at the fourth quarter, he wasn't even bringing it in on a, on a shot or an out-of-bound play. He, he didn't even want to touch the ball. Mellon is incredible. But the price you play when you or pay when you do that is you create a lot of green on that field now for the five-on-five five to be played. And you know better than I do that it's mighty tough to cover all of that territory with five people. But Syracuse really played... Uh, a pretty darn good game, man. They really did. I think the only difference in the game is is that Cornell put it in the cage one more time than Cuse did. And this is a real young team. So I think there's a pretty bright future for Syracuse. I really do. There were there were a couple of turnovers, man, a couple of bad passes and a couple of breaks that uh, didn't go Cuse's game. But you can't be unhappy with this because I'll bet you you know better than I do, Rick. People thought Cornell was going to blow Q's out. Cornell's coming in, the big stud, going to take care of him like they did down at Sholkoff. That wasn't the case, man. No, I but, agree. Um, I mean, Valero of... played an incredibly good yep. game. There was a lot of hustle out there. Um, we just came up one goal short on that, but mm-hmm. it was a, it was a tremendous game. It really was. Doug, you know the one thing I'd like to see Mellon do. Will this be a lesson for Nick Mellon? Will it be that hey? 
I can guard these guys all over the field because my feet are that good. That was been the yeah. knock on him one you know on one, right? He lets guys if sit. If you and I were coaching that team, oh, no yeah. one would not have played a face guard game. No, you would have crawled all over him and beat him up. Absolutely, I agree with that. that. I listed. You take him out of the flow, but you also know what would happen at that point. You know, they would have been playing for a switch and a slide. Yep. You know, get a shorty on uh, on. Uh, on Peterson um, or, or uh, Piatelli, whoever, yep. people. So, yep. you yep. know, maybe it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I'm going to tell you another guy who's coming on and kind of looks very melanish to me is Kennedy. Yep. This kid is a player. He is an absolute player, and he's a freshman. So, you know, when you go into next year, that's uh, a mighty fine-looking team. But enjoyable game. The outcome was not enjoyable. But I'm going to end it with this, man. You Syracuse fans, shame on you, man. Absolute shame on you. 3,500 people in the Dome for this game, and I'll bet you 1,500 of them were Cornell people. I cannot believe the lack of support this community gives to the lacrosse program. So, hate to end it on a sour note. No, it's okay, that's Doug. the way I feel, but I really do. So, thanks for taking my call and talk some more lacrosse, boys. Thanks again. All right. <laughs> Appreciate it, Doug. 315-437-7644. Yes, I got Rick? a question. Yeah. So here's the biggest thing that, that happens now when you have dome renovations. Did anybody bring up ticket prices? Because this is going to cost money. And you have to buy new coaches. You have to get, you have to get better coaches. You have to get all these things. It costs money. You seem to forget that you can't raise ticket prices. You're going to have people. This is a community that is not the wealthiest in all of America. We didn't hit on that. That was that's what I thought about because it always ticket prices have to go up in order to support or do they? I don't know. That should have been a question somebody asked because for 118 million dollars, if ticket prices have to go up ten dollars for a season ticket holder per game, it's a lot of money for someone. Someone who sits in the third tier who may just you know work a night shift. That's a lot of money. Somebody had them in a family. How this is going to be paid for was brought up. Um, they did address it. It did not involve the raising of ticket prices. And I'll be honest with you, Rick, I'm not sure. I didn't mean to break us off subject. No, but no, that's no, just that's okay. About that. That's okay. I'm not sure the university's in position to raise ticket prices, especially for football I agree. at this point. I agree 100%. So, I mean, um, they do have a plan in place on how to get it done and, and how they're going to pay for this whole thing. And they wouldn't be moving forward if they hadn't figured that part of it out. Uh, at at the present time, it sounds like raising ticket prices is 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 not on the table. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's you know down the road, um, but I, I don't think you're in position right now from a football perspective anyway to raise yeah, ticket prices. I agree. Or, or in any anything except for the hoops. Yeah. Right now, Syracuse's lacrosse is kind of falling in what football is going into that lull. It's not good. 315-437-7644. Cornell head coach Peter Milliman set to join us in about 15 minutes. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.